Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello and welcome to the show. Today on the podcast, we have Jonathan New. He's the director at Fairwinds Capital Investments, and we talk about his journey into multifamily investments, buying now $50 million deals, things in those range, uh, things in that range, right? So the bigger, the bigger projects for multifamily. And he started out um, flipping houses, doing the Burr strategy, using private capital to, to buy and, and renovate houses and things like that. And he scaled that up. And so, you know, he talks about the process he used to get there, the team being a critical element of that, relationships, understanding the market, how they raise capital today. So we kind of dive into all those pieces. So if you're a passive investor learning to understand this business more, Jonathan does a, a very succinct job explaining that. And then if you're uh, an operator, I think there's some good stuff in this episode for you as well to, to understand about how him and his team has scaled the business. So great interview with Jonathan. Before we get into that, I just wanted to say thank you for listening. If you are currently seeing DJE projects or invested with us, thank you, uh, you know, for being on board those projects. We love having you in those projects and hopefully you're enjoying the updates and the distributions that you're getting. If you're not and you want to see future projects that we're putting out, you can go to djetexas.com, Delta Juliet Echo, Texas, and you can sign up for uh, some time with our team to learn about our projects and our current portfolio, uh, case studies, track record, all that fun stuff. We've been operating now for about a decade in San Antonio, Texas. So you can go to djetexas.com to take a look at that. Secondly, if you would like to further your apartment investing career as an operator, we created apartmenteducators.com as a platform to do that. So it's tools, ecosystem, coaching, plugging you right in, shaving years or decades off the learning curve here to get you into operating these deals. And our students are closing 10 and $20 million deals in Texas. Uh, and other markets. So if you're interested in pursuing that, we've got a free video course there for you and a lot more tools and resources at apartmenteducators.com. Check that out. Okay. Without further ado, let's jump in with Jonathan New. Here we go. Jonathan, hello and welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm great, Devin. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming on. I, I appreciate it. I wanted to get into uh, your story a little bit and understand some about your background that we could share with listeners and then also that pivot point or what was the catalyst for you getting into this, uh, this wild investment world that we, that we, uh, work in. So, you know, maybe just a little bit of background on, on you and, and how you ended up coming to real estate. Absolutely. Um, so originally from Alabama, I went to, to Auburn university. I got my degree and became an ensign in the Navy, uh, that was back in 2004. Uh, my wife and I bought our first house in Jacksonville, Florida in 2007. So in Jacksonville being one of the biggest bubbles in the country at the time, we sure. lost like half the value of our house. We bought it for 199000 and we tried to sell it and I got stationed to Japan uh, uh, like nine months later and it was came, the appraisal came in at 99000 Wow. So we became landlords. Right. And uh, landlords in How Japan quickly that. did that did that happen? I mean, I'm you know, we all kind of remember 2008, but the uh, the bull goes up the stairs, the bear goes out the window, right? 
Absolutely. And, and I didn't, I, I, we, we were only had, we weren't in real estate at the time. We just had our homestead, but uh, how quickly did all that unravel? It, it seemed like it was overnight. We bought the, we bought the house in, was that May of 2007? And then when we got stationed in Japan in October of, um, I think it was 2008, it had, it had halved in value. Right. So we bought it at the very tip and then it started to just plummet from there. So yeah. Yeah. So you, you became landlords through, you know, we did out of desperation. Not wanting to... My wife said, I'm never owning a house again. And so sure. we went on about our mayor away for a, a long time um, until I became a Lieutenant commander in the Navy. And I started, I was like, well, I haven't done much investing at all. So I started off thinking about like stocks and mutual funds and things like that. I was like, I'll be a great day trader. And I'm not a great day trader, day trader. Um, <laughs> right. I'm just speaking. And, uh, and then I started looking at the house and I realized that the value had gone back up to almost where we had it before to begin with. And we had tenants paying our mortgage and it was cash flowing just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so How many years later was head. this? After oh, moving. goodness gracious. Uh, that was 10 years later. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And it clicked in my head that my tenants were paying my mortgage and that it was a $200,000 house again. So eventually my tenants, other sort of people are going to give me a $200,000 house. And I thought, well, that's a great idea. Let's go out and buy two of these suckers. And then yeah. I came on biggerpockets.com and started learning about Burr method. And then I started flipping houses and burring and I was doing like four or five of those things every single month. And it wow, was, that's, a, that's a lot of volume. And were you, were you, uh, I mean, enlisted at the time, what did that look like? I'm sorry. What was the question? Were you enlisted or were you working or, I mean, that's a four or five houses a month. No joke. I was still active duty Navy. Um, I was the a principal assistant on an aircraft carrier Okay. and, but it was dry docked. So we didn't have much to do at the time. I see. So I had plenty of time to be able to do that. Plus I had a, a team that was built out. My contractor and I had done, you know, millions of dollars of renovations by that point. And, and um, where I was able to trust people to do, the things that I wasn't able to like lay eyes on. Sure. Um, were you doing private money at that point and just, or how were you getting these, these funded? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I was doing, I was raising money for every single deal yeah. uh, through private money lenders, uh, gap funding, things like that. And, but I quickly realized that doing four or five a month is stressful <laughs> to say the oh, very, very least. Sure. And, um, and then I started looking into syndications. This was uh, five years ago at this point and uh, doing one deal, like a multi, big multifamily, 134 units, uh, 352 units. It's, you do one and it's a little bit more stressful. There's much more involved into a single transaction, but at the same time, it's one transaction that you really got to worry about. And we right. do a, a few of those a year versus three or four a month. So uh, we, we pivoted back then to into the large multifamily uh, started off small doing uh, like asset management to get into a GP and um, then built up a resume and now we're able to do it just by ourselves for the most part. Yeah. Isn't that the formula? I mean, get on and get a piece of a bigger deal and get on the track because it's a different game. It is. Um, it truly is. And then, and then you learn the game and go, okay, well, this is an insanely, it's not insanely complicated. There's, there's nuances to it, but you're still kind of in rental real estate for the most part, 
bigger, bigger numbers, bigger door, bit door count, but, uh, you know, getting acclimated and then learning. And then was that kind of the, the goal for you from the get go was, Hey, let's just get our foot in the door and then, and then we can expand in this larger multifamily space. No, absolutely. So I did, I did kind of a multifaceted start. I started off as an asset manager of a large uh, GP. Um, it was a very, very small percentage of the GP that sure. I got to, to do. And then I started my own sponsorship, a tiny little 16 unit out here in, out in the Hampton Roads area. And okay. um, so I sponsored one and I got in a small on a bigger um, property as well at the same time. And uh, I think anybody can start the same either one of those directions is just fine way to start. Um, when you when you do start small, if you do have some sort of a of a uh, track record, um, that's what really the banks look at. Uh, your track record is king um, when getting these loans. And if you're starting off small, they're not gonna they're not gonna care quite as much. So uh, it's the barrier to entry is less that way. Yeah, and then I got sense. into the GP of the bigger project just because I knew the sponsors and I worked with the contractor of that deal. And so I owe them a huge debt of gratitude for inviting me to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've all got our, our folks like that, that kind of gave us a shot early on to get um, on the bottom rung of the ladder, yes, even sir. if it was just by a finger. But, yes, you know, <laughs> and, and then you get on it and next thing you know, you got a hand on there. Uh, and next thing you know, you're, you're buying bigger deals. I, I talk to a lot of people that want to get on the general partner side of, um, larger multifamily deals, you know, bringing capital to the table is always kind of the easy one, but what were your asset manager responsibilities? I get asked that question a lot. How can I add value to a general partnership in exchange for even maybe a very small piece, but at least you're getting on it. So what kind of stuff w was in that, uh, in that scope for that, that role? It actually wasn't very much. I would show up and I would get some of the contractors out there. Like, so there was a general contractor that was a part of the GP mm -hmm. and, but I would go out and, and get some subs out onto the, the site where I could. And I had a, a great landscaping that I'd gotten through my flips to be mm -hmm. able to come out and do a good job out there. Um, I was out there for some problems with the sewer line, went out and snaked that and just some, just some small nicks and knacks here and there until we got the thing stabilized. Got it. So just kind of boots on the ground and you had the construction background, something like going out there and meeting the plumber to scope lines that didn't phase you. You were kind of used to, you probably saw a lot of stuff flipping houses that was, you'd probably seen everything from a renovation standpoint, right? Spot on. I've seen the, I've seen, uh, you pull out a, you pull out a, uh, a hot tub, not a hot tub, but a regular tub. And there's like a, a dead animal underneath and, oh, it's single family renovation is something else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a, uh, I don't know if I ever ran into this in my flips and I did the same thing, man. I flipped hundreds of houses. It was crazy for a few years. There's a, there's a cabinet they used to build with a slot in it and the slot just that was for your razors. So these oh. old houses, they would just throw the razors in the slot in the cabinet and they would just pile up in between the, in between the, uh, you know, the studs and Hey, you know, That's 60 years hands. later, somebody tears it out. And there's a pile of, of old razors there, but Hey, look at this. Yeah. <laughs> That's yep. bananas. Yep. Now, but you don't it, see that stuff in multifamily. 
Oh yeah. How many, um, you mentioned doing the burr on the single family stuff. Did you have a methodology where you're like, all right, I'm going to keep this many flip this many, or were you just kind of opportunistic, like take it as it comes? I really was just opportunistic, whatever came up. Um, I'd have a hard time saying no to things. Yes. Too. Um, it's like a superpower. The, Once you figure it out, right. I can borrow this money. Yeah. I can get this crew and I could turn it into a pile of money. Hopefully it's like, well, how many of these can you, can I do? Absolutely. It was, it was a challenge and, and acquisitions is really is a drug taking yeah. in new, new income streams and you get addicted to it. My uh, contractor would always say, Hey, Jonathan, you're, you're addicted to this stuff, man. You need to see somebody. <laughs> it's like Kevin. Uh, I, yeah, I am. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. But sometimes you do have to take a pause and make sure that your bases are covered and your operations are, are going in the right direction and able to incorporate the volume that you're looking to, to take in. Yeah, that's right. I, I kind of looked at flipping houses like bartending or playing in the NFL. Like it's good money, but there's a shelf life on it. You know, it is a and, job. Uh, there's, there's no publicly traded uh, house flipping companies. It's true. Know? That's very true. It's not a, you're not able to systematize it to the level that, that we'd all like. There's just too many nuances and so dependent on your contractor and your deal sourcing and all those variables. Absolutely. So um, talk to me, well, how, how was it, how was your relationship at the time, you know, with your wife, was she on board with all this stuff running around? Were you, were you working like, uh, you know, every waking hour or what was that period like there flipping all those houses? Oh, goodness gracious. Um, Jill, my wife, um, she became more and more involved with it. Um, mm -hmm. She was never, she's still not excited about the whole thing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but she she accepts it and she realizes the that I'm doing a, a decent job. I'm not gonna say a great job because I don't want to sound egotistical. There's room. There's always but, room, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but she sees the she sees the effort that's being put into it and how far I've come as an investor and a uh, leader of this uh, business. Uh, she sees what we're doing with Fairwinds. And uh, she's comfortable with it at this point. Uh, I wouldn't say she's necessarily crazy excited about it. Um, I've offered several times to have her come in and work on the work in the company with me, but uh, she's always wants to do her own thing. And uh, right, yeah, yeah. So you you made the transition. You're getting into the multifamily stuff. Um, what was the kind of mindset shift like at that point when you started getting into these multifamily projects? Um, you know, did it kind of pivot? what you were setting out to do over the next couple of years, or are you just kind of going with the flow opportunistically based on what, what shows up in front of you? No, absolutely. I wanted to bring on a full team of investors and operators um, because when you're doing a one man show is it's impossible to keep up. It really truly is. Especially if you want to create true, like generate generational wealth it, you can't really do it by yourself flipping and, and burying a lot of single family houses. Sure. Um, but what you can do is, is create a team and it can be in single family. It can be in multifamily self storage. Um, doesn't matter, but bringing a team together and sharing the burden and the, and the tasks that goes into running a business is that was, that was really the shift for me. Um, Cause I've, uh, I was just tired of doing it by myself. I couldn't do it. Um, starting to, to make 
you know, not, not the best decisions in trying to keep everything going. Um, and then I brought in people who are uh, subject matter experts in marketing and accounting and operations and just everything that I kind of, um, not the, not the subject matter expert in. So. Right. And, and that's the role, right? I mean, you're quarterbacking this thing, your, your CEO, so to speak, or similar title in, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna know every subject top to bottom. You just gotta get the right people on the team and right uh, right people on the bus, so to speak. Absolutely. Um, sorry, are you editing? No. Okay. Um, the only reason I ask is because my daughter's banging on the door trying to get in. <laughs> um, but I agree. Uh, I think that. Um, uh, teamwork makes the dream work and your network is your net worth. And it, it, like I said, you just can't do this stuff by yourself. Right. Right. What is, what is the um, focus that you guys are looking at today? You know, we're talking early 2022 mm -hmm. right now. What, um, you know, what is it you guys are looking to do as far as current portfolio, future acquisitions, stuff like that? No, absolutely. So um we learned through our acquisitions that we want to uh, focus our, on four specific markets. We already own assets in Houston and Virginia Beach. Uh, I live in Jacksonville, Florida, and then we also have our director of, of asset management lives in Atlanta. So we're focusing okay. on those four markets specifically. Sure. Uh, we do um, value add, large value add, anywhere between uh, medium to large value add between uh, either management and we got a really good construction crew uh, that's able to do uh, repositions. Uh, so we're focusing our efforts anywhere between the 20 to 50 million purchase price range, just okay. because we found that, that that's kind of the sweet spot when, you, when you're going out to get uh, bigger uh, check writers uh, for the equity piece of it, uh, institutional types, and um, as well as raising capital. Um, hang on just a second. Sure. So my team, uh, we have a uh, we have, we own properties in Virginia Beach and Houston already. Uh, I'm located in Jacksonville, Florida, and we also have our director of asset management who lives in Atlanta. So we're focused on those specific four markets: uh, large value add, anywhere between twenty to fifty million purchase price. Um, we don't focus quite as much on the. Uh, the unit count, just because if you're focusing on that, then you're already getting the on-site property management. Uh, I'm sorry, if you're focusing on the purchase price and you're getting the on-site property management already. Um, then also, um, we want to have 1980s build, uh, 1985 specifically or newer, B class or A class, um, in, in B class or A class neighborhoods, specifically the neighborhoods are everything. Um, because you can take a C and make it into a B, sure. Uh, but you can't take a C neighborhood and make it into a B neighborhood. Yeah, uh, even if by it's everything. trending. Yeah, right. absolutely. Uh, so those are those are our biggest acquisition points. Um, we want to be able to go in. Uh, underwriting needs to come out into the high teens, low twenties IRRs. Um, cash on cash has got to be above nine. Uh, yeah, equity multiple around 1.5 to two. Same thing as everybody else. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty tried and true uh, formula mm -hmm. there. You mentioned some bigger check writers. What has you guys experience been 
bringing on those equity partners that can write those bigger checks, pros and cons, right? But you know, you guys sounds like you've gone down that path. How's that experience been? Uh, it is well. You need to be able to. You need to to get it shopped out prior to the PSA. You need to know what the yes uh, the experience what the what the appetite is before you ever get under contract. Otherwise, you could be stuck holding something that none of the big check waters like. Um, right. <laughs> and you got three hundred k earnest money hard or whatever it is on day one. Yeah. It, and it stinks. I mean, the the hard darn money on day one is just such a bitter pill to swallow, but. If you if in this market, if you're not willing to go hard on day one, you just you're also okay not doing business. Right. Um, it's pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's bananas. You get used uh, to it, but it's uh it's a, yeah. it's a the first one is just like, oh you're hanging out there for a little bit for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um but and also a great piece of advice is have like dozens of these people that you are connected to so that you can right. Yeah, you, you just don't want to be stuck holding the bag because a lot of times they'll they'll say, yep, I like this deal. I love it. Go for it. And then they'll just say, no, 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 what? Something happened. I'm not going to tell you what happened, but, uh, and I know it's two days from closing. Mm, mm. That's the horror stories I've heard. And one of the reasons we, we just have a bunch of small check writers. I mean, it's syndicated yeah. and it's, that has its own work process around it, but it, uh, you know, keeps you out of situations like that. But, but I guess if you can have a partner, an equity partner, we kind of lay all this stuff out up front. You have enough of a certainty that they can bring. I mean, what does a capital stack look like for you guys? You got your debt and, you know, one or two big equity partners or one partner bringing 90% of it, or how do you guys structure that? So generally it's going to be one or two checks. Uh, That's for like the bigger, much bigger stuff. Um, We still syndicate. um, We still go out and get pref equity. Pref equity is an amazing tool. Sure. You can get up to 85, 80 to 90% of your loan to cost covered yeah. right there. And that's a, that's a huge piece of it. And then if you're syndicating, you can just bring in the extra 10% and it boosts those returns way up. Obviously you're sitting behind the pref or the mes debt or whatever that, that, that tool is, right. but uh, it does boost up the returns quite a bit. And the pref slug of the stack, those guys want to get taken out at year three at, you know, 14% IRR or something like that, yeah. or even less. That's obviously usually, that's, well, it should be cheaper, much cheaper than what you're able to get for your common equity. Right. So right. It's, it's, we love it. Yeah, that's uh, great. Sometimes it does kill your cash flow, which is always a concern. But if you can sure. get the PREF or the MES debt without killing your cash flow, then go for it. Right. Right. What, um, what was the, can we talk about a recent deal maybe that you guys have closed and kind of walk us through the the transaction from sourcing and equity and closing and everything? No, absolutely. So, um, let's look at, so we just closed on a a deal called country club in Houston. Okay. Uh, it's 134 unit that, um, we had, we were fresh off the disappointment of, of being under LOI for five months on wow. an off deal, off market deal in Macon, Georgia, it's like 652 units, and um, and the five seller month LOI. was just well, that's really I'm sorry five month oh, LOI. Yeah, five months LOI. The whole time the seller was just saying, "All right, um, I just need to have this language uh, ironed out, and then that would be like three weeks, and then he's and then he'd come back with something else, and then the last couple of weeks of it." The seller was literally like, okay, I'll be in my office in five minutes 
to sign the PSA and we're off to the races. And it would be like that all day, every single day for three weeks. And wow. finally, we just said, we got to cut ties and we, we bolted. Uh, but one of our key principles is, was Julie Peterson. She's at Old Capital. Sure. Yeah, she's great people. Great yeah, people. Julie's great. Yeah, she's worked on some deals with some some friends of mine. We've used Old Capital on deals, you bet. Great company, great yep. everything. But um, but a week, or it's like two weeks later, she came and she said that the broker for this country club had reached out to her to see if she had any buyers. And she said, well, I do. I got Fairwinds here. So she, we sourced that off market and, um, and we had to go fly out to see it. The seller didn't want to sell it to us unless we had seen the property. Uh, so I flew out with my director of, of uh, commercial real estate, Corey Chonsky. We hopped on a plane within like 24 hours notice and flew out. Uh, and it was, it was beautiful. I flew out in a shirt like this and then it was in July and I didn't have an undershirt on and I had forgotten that Texas was hot. <laughs> like sure an is. idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, so we got that and we uh, went through the due diligence uh, with uh, Kimmer Holcomb, who is the president and CEO of Vicinia Living. And so we, we put together the key principles with Kimra and Julie and Jim Biggs um, for their net worth and liquidity and experience. And uh, we were off to the races to get the, um, we had to do a couple of extensions because uh, we did have um, a big check writer back out on us. Sure. Uh, but we, so we had to go through a regular syndication process on that. And it was, it, it's a great deal. I mean, it's going to be, uh, Kimber is going to be putting in four and a half million dollars of renovations into it. It's already in a B-class neighborhood and in a, in a very, it's like a hurricane sheltered area. Um, it's like Northwest of Houston. Right. And it's on a, it's on an electrical grid with the, with hospitals. So it never loses electricity. Um, so we're putting a lot of uh, CapEx into it. Uh, we're going to refinance at year three, sell at year five. And um, so one thing uh, I will point out uh, that we did some, we did some different structuring to try to stand out from the crowd. We did like 12 pref. And we also left our acquisition fee into the deal until we refinance at year three. So we really wanted to pop, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, I, th I guess the standard is, is six to 8% for the pref. And we right. just went well above and beyond. And that can, sometimes it can hurt. I mean, people will look at the 12 pref and say, eh, that's not market. Uh, I don't want to look at something like that. Right. So we did run into a, just a couple of investors that, um, that brought that up as a, as a red flag. Uh, but for the most part, it has been helpful. And the 12 pref, that's just kind of accruing for the first couple of years, or do you think you guys can it get is. to approaching that off cash flow at some we point? We should be able to approach it on year two, uh, at the end yeah. of year two into year three. Uh, but then we're, we're paying back the pref from year one into year two. So the, the GP won't see any of that cash flow until, until year three and four or five. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So multiple markets here. Um, and congratulations on that, on that latest deal. They're always an adventure. Thank so you. getting one across the finish line is, is always a win. Um, how are you guys handling property management, different players in different markets? Is it one larger company that can cover all the markets? How, how have you guys approached that? 
So it's we've got a short-term solution and a long-term solution. Uh, mm-hmm. We have got we're using Vicinia Living for that deal. We're using Asset Living for another couple of deals, uh, one in Houston and then a few in Virginia Beach. Mm-hmm. And we're also growing out our own company, um, following C's. Uh, so we want uh, our long-term vision is to be a fully integrated, uh, fully vertically integrated investment vehicle for people to come in and have everything controlled by the Fairwinds umbrella. Right. Yeah, I think that makes but, a lot of sense. And yeah. obviously there's some work to do, but that that's a best that's a best uh, case scenario to have it just top to bottom control. Absolutely. And that's a great thing about bringing in a big team. We've got six people on the in the in the Fairwinds umbrella right now and that'll probably end up growing quite a bit so that we can handle this um this not it's volume of responsibilities. Right. Right. What does the team look like today? So it's myself. I'm the director. I've got a director of commercial real estate, Corey Chauncey. He's a, just a, he's just a rock star. He, he able to do everything. He, he makes fun of himself saying he's the doer of, of commercial real estate. Um, right. I've got Vadim Ray. He's our director. He's our deputy director. He makes sure that uh, like all the, all the paperwork is good to go, that we're on the, the same vision. Cause I'm, I'm very much so a big idea kind of guy and the name keeps me straight. Um, right. Got to have we it. first. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. When we first started, we wanted to do a blind pool fund just so have all the, um, just to have the capital sitting there ready to deploy. It makes you more uh, competitive when you're offering for things. But we quickly found out that um, even though we had a track record, it wasn't like, 6,000 units, 10,000 units. So it's very difficult to raise a blind pool fund unless you've got an extensive track record. Right. Um, but we also have some different ideas as far as uh, future funds of two or three package deals or maybe different strategies. Um, so we brought in just Breit Bavasia, who is our director of fund strategies. He's, uh, he's got a, a extensive private money lending um, background. I've, I've worked with him when I was doing the single family realm and uh, we've been working ever since. Uh, so he is coming in to, um, to take the realms of different funds that will start here in the next year or so, private money lending, short-term rentals, things like that. Um, sure. Uh, so Corey's gonna be doing just commercial uh, real estate. I'm gonna be kind of overseeing everything. And we also have a director of operations, uh, Cliff Lubber and Joe Belady is our director of asset management. Uh, he is uh, obviously he's working with our property management to make sure that the investor relations and the KPIs are all tracked uh, accordingly. Yep. A lot of cats to herd for sure. What do you guys see Jonathan for, you know, we're, we're at the beginning of the year now kind of talking um, what, you know, what's ahead for 2022 for you guys. So we are going to close out our $71 million deal in Virginia beach uh, it closes at the end of this month. And then we're also going to close out uh, another deal that we're raising for in Houston. That closes out on the 22nd of February. And then we're going to take a pause until the beginning of quarter two. Right. Um, we're going to be working on uh, all of our admin and making sure that we're completely set. Like I said a minute ago, you got to make sure that your base is good so you can grow up. And then we're going to be uh, starting the acquisitions train again in, in quarter two. Uh, to be concluded by Thanksgiving because we uh, 2021 taught us that we don't want to be taking on $104 million worth of real estate 
over the over Christmas into uh, the holidays. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's tough on you, it's tough on your family, and investors don't want to hear it. Yeah, they don't want to talk to you until January first. But your time is clicking with that with that seller. So it is, and inevitably, there's going to be some last minute stuff come up on a perfectly inopportune time. I mean, that's just how it goes through the holidays. You guys are probably going to find the deal of a lifetime late Q1. You know, (laughs) when you say, "Oh, we're not going to look at deals till Q2," deal of a lifetime. (laughs) I guarantee it's going to hit your desk, and you're going to be like, "All right, maybe we don't need." We're in the same boat. I've told it. We're closing 700 doors right now in escrow in the next couple of weeks, and it's like uh, I promise the whole team, operations, investor relations, everybody, like we're going to pause as soon as we get these closed catch our breath, tighten up operation stuff, give everybody a, a break. Uh, and I guarantee we're going to, we're going to see some really juicy deal hit our desk too. And we're gonna have to turn it down, but it's, <laughs> it's the right, you know, it's the right thing to do. It is. It is. I remember us talking about being addicted to acquisitions. That's it. Yeah. 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 Every day Vadim was telling me, Hey, John, get your head out of your rear and stop looking at deals. Yep. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it can be, it can be consuming, but it's a, it's a fun game. And especially playing at this level with the, with the players are involved. It's very rewarding to seeing some of the turnaround you can do for the communities, what you can do for your investors, what you can do for your teams. I mean, that that's, that's a lot of fun at, a, at, a, at this scale that you guys are participating at. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. Yeah. And it's so rewarding. I was, I was counting, I was trying to take account of how many uh, different people, uh, we have we've brought value to between you right. know, our team, our investors, the, the all the tenants that we have that we're improving their lives, and it's you know hundreds and thousands of people that that we get to bring value to their these people's lives, put food on their families' plates, and and things right. like that. And that's that that really is it, it. Really is a moment that I paused and 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 had a great appreciation for what we do. I mean, we're not, none of us are like slumlords and just right. out to just make a quick butt we're generally genuinely out there to bring value to to people i've seen your portfolio you do a you do a great job on on everything that you've done yeah i mean we you know these things take a lot of capital to put into human capital and and dollars and um you know that's all in service of making these nicer more attractive assets right absolutely absolutely yeah. agree yeah so i mean it's definitely a it's, it's a fun industry to be in from that perspective because it is, uh, there is that win-win nature. Obviously, it's got its challenges and nuances, but, but uh, big picture, you, you know, you guys are helping a lot of people through different facets of the business, um, which, is, which sure. is great. So Absolutely. what, what, um, what do you say to that person that is, uh, you know, contemplating going to be an operator and wants to get in the business, but they, they haven't done that. They've got the W2 had some success, but they're, they're wanting to move in a direction to do something like you're doing. You know, what do you, what do you say to that person? I would say study up, meet as many people as you can, um, go through, just, just meet people. Yes. Your human capital, like you were, you were hinting at is the most important capital that you have in business. It is truly a, who do you know type business, right? Never be this. You don't want to be the smartest person in the room. You will surround yourself by the smartest person in the room. Um, so go to networking events, um, multifamily conferences or whatever the, whatever the strategy that you want to go into uh, self-storage uh, assisted living. They're all fantastic strategies, but go to those conferences and figure out who the players are 
Um, and then you can figure out what your strengths are. You can bring value to them that way. Guarantee you, everybody, all the all the people with experience, they all want capital, of course. So if you can figure out a way to raise, you know, a couple hundred grand, um, it's 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 easier than you'd think. It's, even on your first raise, it's raising a couple hundred grand is not the most. Uh, it, it sounds very cavalier of me to say it's like that, but I've seen the one of my partners, uh, he raised $600,000 on his very first raise on his very first multifamily deal. Nice. It was the most amazing thing I, I've seen. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, so Tillman, if you're watching this, congrats, buddy. Uh, that's, um, that's strong. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, but yeah. So there's, there's so many different ways that you can get into this, but knowing who the operators and who the players are in your business is 99% of the job. Right. And I like what you said about your strengths. You know, it's really important that you discover those and it's not, this may be a discovery process. I mean, multifamily's got different things on the menu for you to, for everybody to do. Um, and, I've seen so many people go through it and myself included, just kind of fine tuning. All right, what do I really want to be working on? Where do I shine? What am I naturally good at? And it might be a discovery process going through that, but that's really, really valuable. And then you can align yourself with partners or vendors or whatever, where your, where your gaps are and, and get it done. Um, well, this is, this is great, Jonathan. I'm, I'm very happy for you guys success. Congratulations on the recent deal and the, and the deals ahead this quarter. If somebody listening wants to connect and learn more about your firm, how can they do that? So our website is www.fwcinvestments.com. I'm at Jonathan at fwcinvestments.com. And um, um, yeah, just email or go to the website, sign up in our portal. Uh, you can sign up for an opportunity to, or, or a time slot to talk to me or any of the people on my team. More than happy to do so, more than happy to provide any kind of value to your team that we can in any way possible. I love it. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. And uh, thank you. Thank you for, for joining. I wish you guys a, a good year ahead here, Jonathan. Thank you for having me, Devin. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE Podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.